Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Mark Tears. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Welcome to the Provoke podcast. This is Arun Sudhaman and I'm joined by Paul Holmes. Paul, we haven't had you on the podcast for quite a while, it seems. No, I've been keeping a very low profile. Well, good. I hope so, because it's dangerous out there. There's a pandemic going on. That's <laughs> what they tell me. This, in case you hadn't heard. But of course, you're on to discuss the big news in the global PR industry this week. Um, if I was to say to you, Paul, 12 months ago, as we were entering, I suppose really we were, we'd entered the pandemic 12 months ago, we were kind of in the the worst of its throes in many respects. If I was to tell you then that the global PR industry would decline 4% in 2020, would you have believed me? Um, I would certainly have um, accused you of wearing rose-tinted spectacles. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I, I mean, I remember where we were um, a year or so ago. And and obviously our fate is inextricably tied to um, the vicissitudes of the public relations marketplace and as you'll recall um where we were really was a zero visibility world i mean we'd never experienced anything like this before we didn't know if it was going to be a minor setback a major setback or a complete catastrophe um Mm. and i think like most of our clients and most of the people we cover um we had a plan a a plan b a plan c and somewhere (laughs) in our desks a plan z which was for um you know a public relations apocalypse and if you'd asked me then to predict um i would probably have said it was going to be somewhere between bad and very bad um Mm. And bad would have been a 10% decline. Um, you know, you, you'll recall better than I do because you were very hands-on with this, but we did some research um, around the agency business. I mean, we did several waves of research, but our first wave of research was about this time last year. And as I recall, um the predictions from agency leaders were um if not dire um at least um gloomy mm. yeah no they they were quite grim actually um the first wave of research we did was um quite depressing as i recall uh and it's funny to talk about it now because i feel like i've blocked uh, a lot of that period out. In fact, that the, the the conversation we had where we discussed plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan Z, I, I had actually completely blocked that out until you just reminded me of it now um, because it, it really was a crazy time. But of course, the reason I asked you that question is, is our global rankings research came out last week. 
a little later than usual because uh, for whatever reason, the German firms reported a little later than usual this year. Um, And the headline finding from that research is that the global PR industry only declined by 4% in 2020. Um, In US dollar terms, the picture was even better that the US dollar was was weaker against many currencies last year. And in US dollar terms, I think we were something like at parity, um, the, glo- the size of the global PR market compared to 2019. So all things considered, Paul, it would appear that the industry not only avoided the worst, but maybe even prospered in relative terms. Um, yeah, in relative terms, certainly. I, I, I think, you know, I think the industry should be extraordinarily proud of its resilience, um, and I think we should be very pleased with, um, you know, just how mission critical um, public relations has become in in several aspects. Um, you know, I think if you if you look at the if you look at the numbers overall, um, it's clear that we um, we declined um, far less than um, most adjacent disciplines. Um, and I would put that down to the fact that that you know there are lots of things that other firms specialize in that PR firms can do quite well. Um, mm. in some cases very well. There are things that public relations can do, um, particularly in the stakeholder arena, dealing with employees um, and managing through crises that nobody else can do. Um, and that obviously stood the PR agencies in our survey in good stead um, mm. during the past yeah. 12 months. Indeed. One of the, um, I mean, there were several interesting findings, I thought, from the research. One of the, one of those, uh, indeed, was that the bigger end of the table, that the top 10 firms, the big agencies, which typically uh, have not grown um, at an especially impressive clip over the past decade, uh, actually proved to be more resilient um, last year, at least, than their than their mid-sized peers, which was, you know, kind of a role reversal. Um, how would you explain that? So I think it was a year in which um, your fate was more or less determined by your portfolio. Um, there are some exceptions to that, obviously. Um, but but first of all, those firms that were um, overexposed in areas like travel and retail suffered the most. Those firms that were um, pure play consumer agencies um, were likely to have a difficult time, um, especially if they had a sort of large events portfolio. Um, And I think that the large agencies benefited from a balanced portfolio. So um, in many cases, even though the consumer businesses were struggling, um, they had enough corporate healthcare, financial services, um, and to a lesser extent, technology. Um, but they had enough of that kind of business um, that they were insulated from the worst 
of the um, of the fallout. Mm. It was those firms that were overexposed in consumer, and that's a lot of mid-sized firms in the U.S. and it's a lot of firms in continental Europe um, mm-hmm. that um, had the hardest time. Yeah, yeah. Although, um, having said that, uh, the German firms did did reasonably well. Um, Another trend worth noting, similar, I think, to some extent to the the big versus mid-sized debate, is the difference between publicly held firms uh, and independent agencies. And as you know, um, for as long as we've been tracking growth, which is more than a decade now, we've seen independent PR firms outgrowing their publicly held peers by a factor of around two to one. Um, that gap narrowed uh, last year. Publicly held firms performed better. They still didn't grow as fast as independent firms. But in particular, the bigger publicly held firms, the big four, let's say, the big four holding group owned firms were the best performing of all publicly held firms, which I think speaks to your point about bigger portfolio-based agencies. Um, but I guess the question I have is, do, do you see the independent publicly held divide uh, shrinking in the in the, the short to medium term, or was that more of a one-off blip? You feel last year. Um, I think I, I, I'm I'm not going to, on the basis of one extraordinary year, um, mm. reverse everything that I believe to be true about the PR market. Um, and that's based on observation over um, the last 25 years or so, when when there's been a clear, um, you know, there's, there there has been a divide between the publicly traded companies um, and the independents. And mm. and my suspicion is that the independents will continue to outperform um, yeah. the big publicly traded. I, I I just think we're living in a world now. Um, where the advantages of um, nimbleness, um, of of the ability to sort of improvise, to think quickly on your feet, um, that that ability is at a premium, um, mm. and it's an advantage that is um, almost insuperable if you're mm-hmm. um, if you're publicly traded because there's a bureaucracy that you have to deal with that the more entrepreneurial firms just don't have. Mm. What well, one um, of the but, other benefits? Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just going to say that last year was clearly a year in which um, the the advantages of of scale um, mm. were. Um, were more evident than they have been for a while. Um, you know, it'll be interesting right. to watch over the next two or three years. And uh, you know, if I'm wrong, then we'll find out fairly quickly. Yeah, one of the other benefits, of course, of independence, as as we've discussed before, is that um, the business is being run typically for the benefit of staff and clients rather than shareholders, um, which, of course, is also you know a nod to this whole idea that that you know, all stakeholders are equal um, and shareholders do not necessarily need to be the most important um, out of all stakeholders, um, which is a trend in the in terms of the broader public relations industry in, in terms of the services that PR firms are providing. Uh, and it's a trend that should play to the benefit 
of of public relations people if you accept that this idea of, of stakeholder capitalism is a real thing. Do, do, do you feel there was a, a stakeholder capitalism dividend in 2020? Um, I think it was a year, I, I think it was a year in which, um, first of all, we saw the resilience of the stakeholder capitalism idea, right? Because, um, because it, it, it clearly presented companies with an opportunity to abandon anything that was nice to have um, in favor of what they really needed to have. And, you know, we've just finished judging the Sabre Awards um, and there was certainly no decline and and probably a fairly healthy increase in the amount of purpose-driven work. There was a healthy increase in employee communications, which indicates that that particular audience got a lot of attention. I I Mm. feel like um, in a very difficult year, lots of companies paid more attention to their secondary stakeholders. I mean, if if you accept that shareholders are the primary stakeholder, which they have been for most companies, I I feel like last year was a year in which companies actually paid more attention, not less, to employees and customers and communities. Um, Mm. So that was evidence for the idea that, um, that that stakeholder capitalism is here to stay. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think companies benefited from, mm. from that focus. I think it had a, a tangible payoff. Mm. Do you think it's here to stay? Um, I mean, I'm I'm always I'm always hesitant to to predict that something is permanent, um, but I think the the trajectory is certainly towards um, more stakeholder, less shareholder. Um, you know, I think you know I, I think one of the trends that we identified when we talked to people about their their forecasts for 2021 was renewed emphasis on ESG and in mm. particular on the S. You know, on, on, on social performance. Um, I think there are all kinds of pressures now from the marketplace um, and indeed from, from the investment community that are forcing companies to take ESG more seriously. Um, and I think it'll be, I, I think it's very difficult to backslide on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, um, I would say that what's going on in corp- in corporate America in particular, but around the world really, um, looks much more like a race to the top than a race to the bottom, um, which is not where we were uh, 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Do, do you not think it feels a little bit like ESG is being taken more seriously because shareholders are taking it more seriously? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when you saw um, some of the big institutional investors in the US, um, and, you know, BlackRock is is the obvious example, um, start to really emphasize ESG um, as one of the criteria that, that they're most focused on with their investments. I think that that was the point at which, you know, it stopped being this sort of um, nice 
cosmetic overlay that you tried to place on your operations without making significant changes um, mm-hmm. to being something genuinely um, genuinely sort of substantive and, and ingrained into the business. Um, yeah, and I don't think I don't think that would have happened without shareholders um, coming to realize um, that ESG, you know, and, and I, I, there's so much debate over nomenclature, um, whatever you want to call it, purpose, CSR, um, ESG, whatever, that, that this was a source of competitive advantage, not, you know, not, not a, a bone that you threw to, um, you know, to, to woke consumers to mm. alleviate the pressure that they were able to put on your company. Yeah, indeed. Um, our research uh, throughout the last 12 months, so, so not the rankings research, but the the surveys that we've been doing that you referenced, the waves of surveys we've done of the industry. I think we've done four or maybe five now with, with, with our friends at Sticky Beak. Um, revealed quite early on last year, actually, that um, corporate communications was proving very resilient, as as you pointed out, uh, and associated areas such as healthcare, advocacy, B two B tech, which I, I sometimes associate with corporate, uh, only because it's not consumer, um, and of course healthcare, which you know is is not really. Uh, you know, it doesn't fit as neatly with corporate, but is is definitely not the consumer end necessarily. And of course, there were specific healthcare demands last year, um, but all of that benefited agencies, as you said, with strong uh, offerings in those areas. Uh, but they also, but it also came, um, I think, after a period of time when consumer marketing was kind of seen as as the the industry's. I, wouldn't, I don't want to say holy grail, but um, you know, almost like the promised land, where uh, by figuring out how to tap into CMO budgets and marketing spend, uh, PR firms could play with ad agencies, and they could be at Cannes, and they could be earning loads of money and winning tons of awards. And do, do you think the industry over-indexed on consumer um, in the years leading up to the pandemic? Well, look, I think I think over the last decade, what we've seen is incremental growth in mm. the corporate business. Um, you know, it, it it's been slow and steady, but it hasn't been glamorous mm. or exciting. Um, uh, meanwhile, there were some very sexy opportunities in the consumer arena. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the, the emergence of digital and social media um, mm. as pretty much the primary channel by which um, consumers get information about the, the products and, and services that they're buying um, and, and misinformation for what that's worth. I, I think that the 
um, I think that the rise of digital and social media created a whole new set of opportunities for PR firms, um, both new business and business that they could take away from other agencies. Mm. Um, and that obviously was exciting because that was that was new and um, and additive and not just incremental growth mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's where we as an industry um, were chasing new revenues and I think uh, and investing in new capabilities and adding new talent and and that I think um, made perfect sense um, I think that um, those who viewed that as an opportunity to deepen client relationships and become more mission critical to clients rather than simply viewing it as um you know another another way to to make quick money and i'm nothing against quick money but um but but rather than just seeing it as you know an opportunity to do more um but seeing it as an opportunity to become more important um those were the firms that um, that that sort of solidified their gains over the last 12 months. Um, I'm looking at firms in the US like Zeno, um, which you know is a mid-sized agency. Um, if you'd asked us or anybody else, you know what Zeno's strength was before last year, I, I suspect that we would have said consumer. Um, mm-hmm. It's a firm that has been a finalist for Consumer Agency of the Year several times. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd be very surprised if we'd ever had it as a finalist as Corporate Agency of the Year, despite the fact that it has a robust corporate practice. But the consumer mm-hmm. work that it did was well up the value chain, um, you know, because of its investment in things like data and analytics and, and because it um, blended consumer and corporate so effectively. Um, and so Zeno had, I, I think, in context, a spectacular year. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I'd certainly, I'd, I could make the case that um, even though the absolute growth number wasn't the best they've ever had, last year was, in context, the best year they've ever had. Mm. Is that how consumer firms find their way back from 2020? Is it about trying to move upstream? Um, so it's you know it's less less about the tactical work, um, maybe less about supporting the advertising. I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds logical, but presumably it's not that easy. Um, yes, it's logical. Um, no, it's obvious, uh, absolutely not that easy. Um, and, um, you know, you, you can, you can see that by the range of performance among specialist firms last year. Um, but yes, I think, um, I think that's, that's been true for for a while, and uh, and last year just that underscored how true it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the the more you can make yourself indispensable at a senior level to your clients, I and mean, this is almost a truism, right? But mm-hmm. um, 
but the more you can make yourself indispensable at a senior level to your clients, the better things will be in good times and bad. Mm. There's sometimes this kind of zero-sum thinking, though, I think, I feel, at firms, not all firms, but at many firms, whereby um, if they're in, you know, if they're going to focus on one area, then it's to the detriment of, of another. Um, and I think there was a little bit of that around in terms of, of prioritizing consumer marketing spend. Um, but last year, I think, reminded us that corporate is still, is, is incredibly important and, you know, is even fashionable, uh, particularly with the shift towards stakeholder capitalism, the rise of employee activism, the, the social movements we've seen in the US uh, and beyond. And the interesting thing, of course, is, as you said, no other just, you know, advertising, digital, they can't really do corporate affairs. Yeah, look, I, I think, um, I think what last year showed us as much as anything was the way in which the the membrane between corporate and consumer has become permeable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, if... Corpsumer. Yeah, sorry. well, I'm sorry. I, yeah. Sorry. Um, but... Um, but um i think i think if you're doing i think if you're doing consumer now without understanding the stakeholder impl- the multiple multi-stakeholder implications of what you're doing um then you know you're you're really not you're not you're not part of the solution um you know Audiences interact with each other. They're not separate and discrete anymore. Corporate reputation is infinitely more important to consumer marketing than it ever was. You know, there was a time when corporate social responsibility was clearly part of the corporate practice, um, not part of the marketing mix right and now you know i i know we've changed the the nomenclature again and we're we're talking about purpose more than we are about csr um Mm -hmm. but it's clear that that is that is about corporate behavior but it's about corporate behavior that consumers um take incredibly seriously um and so if you if you don't understand um, corporate, I'd, I'd argue that you can't do consumer properly in mm. this era. And so those firms that were able to bring their corporate and their consumer practices together, um, their employee engagement and their consumer practices together, um, even to a certain extent, their public affairs and their consumer practices together. I mean, if you're talking about political issues um, like Black Lives Matter, which was, you know, a, a huge issue for corporations in 2020, um, their hiring practices and mm. their consumer profile together. Yeah. Um, you know, all of all of those things are interconnected now in a way that they weren't before. This, by the way, you know, might might be another key to the relative success of the larger agencies last year, in mm-hmm. that all of the larger agencies have um, have all of those capabilities, right? Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, Weber, Shandwick, Edelman, Fleischmann, 
Burson, the, the BCW, the, the firms that did well last year, um, mm. or you know, relatively, um, all have you know corporate employee crisis, public affairs, and consumer practices um, at, at, at fairly significant scale. Not every midsize firm has all of those capabilities. Um, and um, again, I, I would make the case that that historically, the big agencies that have all of those capabilities have found it more difficult to blend them than the mid-size agencies have. They've had more internal bureaucracy than the mid-size mm-hmm. agencies. And so yeah. that has been less of a competitive advantage than it should have been because of the bureaucratic hurdles. But mm-hmm. And this is this is the caveat to what I was saying earlier, I guess. If last year marked the year in which they figured out that they had to break down those internal barriers and they successfully broke down those internal barriers, um, then it could be that they figured out a way to, to maximize their greatest advantage. Mm-hmm. And well, we shall case, see... Yeah. Sorry, go I mean, on. In, that, in that case, we will see um, mm. the bigger global publicly traded agencies um, beginning to match their independent brethren um, mm. in performance terms. Yeah, we shall see. Um, one of the things I think that happened in 2020 was that we saw a reduction in what I would call consumer-facing marketing spend. Um, you know, c- company many companies were less active about kind of overtly selling. Um, and there was far more uh, activity in areas that, that, as we've discussed, benefited public relations. So things like uh, CSR or ESG, employee engagement, um, health and safety, you know, and, and what consumer messaging there was was often around things like, you know, we're in this together and, and just trying to help people get through lockdown rather than necessarily trying to um, overtly sell product. Presumably at some point, and maybe it's already happening, um, that's going to change. With that change, do you foresee any impact on uh, public relations spending? Will it start to move back towards advertising perhaps? Um. I think that what we'll see in the next 12 months is, is you know, a more balanced approach. Um, you know, I, I still think that um, the things that came to the fore over the last 12 months, particularly the purpose-driven marketing, um, will continue uh, to play a huge part um, because I don't, yeah, you know, I don't think that was totally crisis related. I, I think that that was part of a realization that that is a deeper level on which to connect with consumers than, than, you know, buy more of our stuff. Um, I just think purpose gives you a more compelling message. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't I, so, um, I mean, I think, yeah, we'll probably see a, a, a slight shift back to um, a more balanced approach. Um, yeah. 
but I I don't I don't think we're going back to where we were. I mean, one of the one of the one of the cliches um, of the last twelve months is this idea that it didn't really it didn't really change direction for anybody. It just accelerated. Yes. Um, direction directionality that was already happening so yeah. and you know you can see that in a number of respects i mean the move away from from live events to mm. to more virtual and digital events for example yeah. wasn't remote something working. that was something that was going to happen anyway yeah, um true. yeah remote working um mm. that was something that was going to happen anyway it just happened a lot quicker um, because mm. of the changes that were forced, and I think the move, the move towards purpose, and um, and, and you know, the, the, to a certain extent, the move towards corporate consumer um, uh, interaction or uh, interwovenness, whatever the word is. Um, I, I think that's another example. Um, it's something that was happening anyway. Um, it's just going to happen a lot faster now because of what we've experienced over the last 12 months. Okay, well, that's encouraging. Um, and now possibly the big question, the million-dollar question, maybe the $13 billion question, if you take the number from our rankings. So if you if you look at it from the in-house perspective, again, a key finding from our research has been that the corporate communications function has never been more valued. Uh, and it's not too hard to see why all of the things we've talked about on this call. You also just mentioned crisis. And of course, crisis has been a huge driver. And crisis is something on which the comms function is expected to play a very big role. And I suspect lawyers have been less involved because um, no one really needs to have heard from lawyers during you know, the, the worst of the pandemic necessarily. Um, will that elevated importance in terms of corporate communications, which maybe in some cases has led to elevated budgets. Um, will that prove to be more transient than permanent, given everything you've seen in the history of the corporate communications function? Um, if so, if if I was um, if I was to assume that the past is a good predictor of the future, um, then yeah, I guess I'd be fairly skeptical and and say that we'll you know um, that that corporate communications is always more important during a crisis. And what we had last year was actually sort of a a twelve month. I mean, now at this point. We're headed. We're headed for an eighteen-month crisis um, that affected every single company in America um, yeah. and, and around the world, right? And mm -hmm. and is going to continue affecting their um, their operations in developing countries um, for the foreseeable future, unless we can solve the vaccine mess that mm -hmm. those companies are still experiencing. So, um, yeah, I I. I I guess I would be skeptical um, if I looked at how that's that's gone in the past. Um, but I just I just think you know the other, you've got to look at some of the other trends that are happening, um, and 
um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about ESG already on this call, mm-hmm. and that's not going to go back to normal. Um, that or, or that's not going to go back to where it was ten years ago. Um, that is going to continue to be more important. And if corporate communications demonstrated its ability to lead or even really to contribute substantially um, to ESG performance, um, then yeah, I think it's I think its um, role in the organization will be heightened um, and and more serious than, than than it would have been ten years ago. Um, you know, even even so. I guess even if it drops back a little because last year was a special year, I think the trend is still towards public relations, corporate communications, whatever you want to call it, um, playing a more significant role. Yeah, I guess it's sad that it took a pandemic for companies perhaps to realize how valuable public relations is. Yeah, but, uh, Um, but, but... I mean, the idea that the idea that you know a, a good crisis every now and again is good for the corporate communications function is mm-hmm. not a new one. It's not something no. that you ever hear spoken out loud or, or quite as crass, quite as crassly as as that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've always, as an industry, been aware that you know a really serious crisis. Um, makes people, forces management to understand how much they need us. Mm. And, um, you know, that the, the fact that that crisis happened to every company simultaneously, and it was a crisis that really did demand communications with, um, with, with all your s- stakeholders, um, over a long sustained period, really, um, you know, one would think that that would have um, that would have helped public relations cement itself um, as a as a vital leadership function. Yeah, as um, mission critical, as you put yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Um, you know, if nothing else, if if this this terrible, awful tragedy that we've we've kind of all had to live through, if it has kind of helped companies understand how important it is to uh, to meet, you know, and address and balance the expectations and needs of all stakeholders, then it won't necessarily be a bad thing in the long term. Um, so I suppose maybe, Paul, it's time for a, a manifesto for a post-COVID PR firm. <laughs> Who knows? Ah, uh, yes. Maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it is. On that note, I will leave you. Thank you so much um, for your time. And, Always uh, fun. Take care. Hopefully I'll see you, see you sometime soon, somewhere that doesn't involve a screen but uh, i'm not holding my breath unfortunately yeah no it would be nice to have um to have some interaction among the management team that isn't via zoom um but mm. uh 
but I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime in the next couple of months. That's true. Well, at the very least, hopefully you'll get you'll get to see Maya and Sarah in Brighton. So that would yeah. be good. That would be yeah. fun. So we, yeah, so that would be Looking good. Enjoy that. that. Yeah. So a, a hybrid event. Touch wood. Um, everything in the UK continues on a kind of upward trajectory, uh, and we can run that event, which I think is on the twenty. 20- 4th of june you can check it all out on our website great and you can find all the rankings of course information uh on our website too thanks to all the firms that participated i really have to give them a huge vote thanks especially those that declined i mean so many firms that declined some very significantly still took part i think that is so valuable um for the industry as a whole you know without that kind of uh, commitment um, we can't really do these rankings. Uh, no, it's it's, yeah. it's easy for me to say, but if you're a if you're a PR firm and you're not committed to transparency, um, <laughs> maybe you're in the wrong line of business. Um, mm, but but yeah. no, what what you say is absolutely true. It was an easy year for companies to forget, um, oh, and to, many did to, to provide us with the information. As you say, we got more. We had more absentees than we normally do. Um, but but those firms that did provide numbers and and were upfront and transparent about their performance, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think I don't think that ever um, that ever hurts. I think it's um, I think it's yeah. a, an indication of you know integrity, transparency, honesty, um, yeah. and a commitment to something should... bigger than just you know, your bottom line, right? Because yeah, it's absolutely. almost like a commitment to the industry, which I think is is laudable. Yeah, and the data's important, you know. It's it's mm. it's incredibly important for us to be able to benchmark and track and monitor how the industry as a whole is performing and, and um you know contributing to that is something that we're very grateful for. Yeah. And to those of you that didn't, well we estimated your numbers anyway, so there you go. <laughs> Please feel free to get in touch if you think we were wrong, or, uh, or, sure. or most most likely we we may have overestimated. Who knows? Thank you so much, Paul. We'll be back um, on the podcast soon. Thanks. been listening to the provoke podcast brought to you by provoke media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers support for this podcast comes from notified the integrated intelligent and easy to use pr software get a free demo today at notified.com